The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. The Ecclesiastes. We are looking at Ecclesiastes 11. We're looking at the whole chapter, and then we should uh, finish through verse 8 of chapter 12. So, larger section, Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 through 12.8. When I say finish, I'm talking about the sermon today, not the book. We'll, Lord willing, we'll finish the book next, next Lord's Day. And then after that comes another e-book. Uh, Esther figured, well, I preached through all the uh, the books of the, the Bible that begin with E. Then I realized, well, that includes Ezekiel, so I'm going to scratch that plan. But Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, let's now hear the Word of God. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit, the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman, with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of songs are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, 
and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And this concludes the reading of God's word. May God now add his blessing to it. Well, if you were told that your death is imminent, let's say a doctor said, I'm sorry, you only have a few months to live, how would you live out the rest of your life? Would anything change about how you're living your life? You would probably make sure that you have a will, you have a gravesite, you have uh, everything in place, you have funeral arrangements. Uh, you would probably make important decisions about what's to happen to all your stuff, give directions to your family. But if your death was less imminent, let's say you had a year to live or so, uh, what are some of the things you'd want to do? Probably be some bucket list items that you uh, want to kick off. You know, I always want to go to Italy or Israel, now here's my chance, or I always want to go skydiving, might as well, since my life is now short. Uh, you would also probably focus on quality time with loved ones. But how would you live knowing that your life is short? Well, Ecclesiastes in our chapter here today is telling us your life is short. And he is telling us how to live in light of life being short. And so there's three guides for this short life. First, we see a calculated risk. Second, cheerful youthfulness. And then third, consideration of the end. So first, calculated risk. Look at verse 1 again. Cast your bread upon the waters, and you will find it after many days. So this is an idiom for taking risk. You think about bread, and bread back then uh, wasn't kind of like our bread today where you throw it on the water and it instantly becomes soggy. It's kind of like pita bread. You take it, you throw it out onto the water, and it, when it disintegrates, when it becomes soggy, it could come back to you. And what this is saying is go ahead and take risk. But think about the risk of not just keeping your bread and hanging on to it so you can eat it. You cast it, it might come back to you. It might not. It's at the mercy of the water, and it's not in your control. Now Solomon says, after many days you will find it. And, of course, he's positive about it, but he says you just don't know. But risk-taking involves letting go of certain things that you don't have control of, casting your bread on the waters, as a way to gain. It could be starting a business. It could be making an investment. It could be many things that you are not in ultimate control of. And it might work out for you, but there's risk involved. It might not. And Solomon, again, is positive here, but he's not making any absolute promises. He's saying that there is no gain without taking some risk. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now this could be talking about not putting all your eggs or that is bread in one basket and kind of diversifying them. Or it could be given that he says give. It could be talking about give, being generous. You don't know what disaster is going to happen. You can lose a lot. Might as well use it well. And the best way to use it is to share, to give, to be generous to those in need. And then Solomon gives a couple of truisms to make the point that you won't know what is going to happen until it does. So don't be afraid to take wise risks. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, 
they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He's saying, look, you don't know if the clouds that are coming are full of rain until after it rains. You're not, you're not going to know until after it happens. You're not going to know which way the tree falls until after it has fallen, whether to the north or to the south. By the way, it's a, just an interesting note. Do you know that this verse right here in verse 3 is the verse that converted R.C. Sproul by, by one of the best uh, theologians of our time, the late R.C. Sproul. He died about six years ago. He says he's probably the only one in church history who's ever been converted by this verse. Uh, he said when he read it, he realized that he was the tree lying there dead that it described him. Now, I don't think that's the proper interpretation, but God is able to use his word to, to bring about uh, his intended purposes. Anyway, that's just kind of an interesting side note. But the point of these verses is to say, you don't know what's going to happen until it does. You can plan, you can prepare, but at the end of the day, you really don't know what's going to happen until after it happens. So don't be afraid to take risks. And Solomon goes on to say in verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So sitting around trying to observe the wind and, and the clouds, does this cloud, do these have rain? Uh, is, is a figure of speech for trying to figure everything out, waiting for the perfect scenario before you do something. But if you do that, Solomon says, you're not going to sow. You're not going to get around to it if you try to figure everything out. First, it doesn't mean that you can't make plans, you can't evaluate things. But Solomon says at the end of the day, you just need to sow. And this is why Solomon goes on to say in verse 5, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Of course, this has been a question that theologians have wrestled with. How is somebody's spirit created? How, how does that work at, at conception? Well, this verse says, we don't know how it works. Solomon says this to make the point that you cannot know all the works of God. That is everything God's doing, everything God's going to do. Trying to figure it out first. So it's pointless to wait until you have everything figured out. And so Solomon goes on to exhort us in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So rather than just waiting until everything's perfect, waiting until you have everything figured out, not to say you aren't wise, but you're not going to know everything. Solomon says just go out in the morning and sow your seed, and withhold not your hand in the evening. That is, work in the evening, morning to evening. And notice he's talking about not foolish things, Go out and, and gamble all your, all your money away. But ordinary things. Sow your seed. Do honest, legitimate work. Don't be paralyzed by perfectionism. What's this going to say about me if I don't succeed? Will anyone buy my work? Rather, just utilize your gifts, skills, and legitimate and lawful means that God has made available to you, even if there are some risk involved. It might prosper. It might not. You don't know, but you won't know until you've done it. A second guide for the short life is cheerful youthfulness. So now I'm talking to you youth in here. 
verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, of course, this is generally true to see the literal sunlight. Just ask all the depressed people in Seattle during their, their, their long, rainy, and cloudy season. However, what Solomon is talking about is seeing the light of day. Coming into this life and enjoying its pleasant things such as sunlight. And so he says in verse 8, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Uh, to see the light of day, to come into this life and enjoy the many pleasant things is a matter for rejoicing. Rejoice in them, in every one of them. However, Solomon goes on to remind us at the end of verse 8, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Well, there are many pleasant things, many enjoyable days. There are also many dark days. Uh, this life is filled with sorrow, hardship, and great difficulties. Uh, you will be hurt. You will suffer. You will be sinned against and victimized at some point. And even in our small community, uh, my, somebody has rummaged through my car overnight on a couple of occasions. Now actually, there are the victims once they realize they, there's nothing to steal, except for maybe some of my kids' coloring books or some melted crayons. But there will be hardship, difficulty. There's no escaping that. You will mourn over death, whether it's a grandparent or a parent or even a child. Enjoy the bright days, but don't be surprised at the dark days. They will be many. I caught myself thinking at one point, in ministry, if I just get through this trial, then there's light at the end of the tunnel. And what did I find at the end of the tunnel? Another trial. And I finally realized this is actually not going to end until the day I die. There's going to be one trial after another. While there's going to be many bright days for which we should give thanks, there's going to be a lot of dark days. This life is vanity. But that doesn't mean we can't rejoice in this life. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. So Solomon now turns to you youth in here. That is anyone from basically teenage years up to prior to old age. And he commands them to rejoice in their youth. Be glad in the strength that you have. You have vigor. You have energy. You have the ability to enjoy life. So he, he tells them to walk in the ways of their heart. Now, typically, this is very bad advice. You follow your heart. But that's not what Solomon is saying here. Rather, he's saying, enjoy the desires of your heart while you are still young and able to do them. Walk in the sight of your eyes. That is what you see before you. Go ahead and do with your strength. But of course only the legitimate things because he hastens to add at the end of verse 9, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So go for it. Fulfill your desires. But not so fast, young man, who is filled with evil desires. 
remember that God will bring everything into judgment that you do. And he goes on to say in verse 10, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now Solomon's not saying control your life such that you never face any difficulties. That's impossible given the fact that there's going to be dark days. Rather, this is referring to not getting unnecessarily worked up about things. And he also says take care of your physical health. Remove unnecessary pain for your body. When you're younger, especially you young men, you tend to do things that aren't that smart. But we are to still be wise, Solomon says. Enjoy this life. You're able to do it. But remove this vexation. Remove pain. And he says, because your youth, the dawn of life, the beginning of life, or vanity. He's using vanity here as short and fleeting. It's going to go fast. And so, because the days of your youth are too short, don't get unnecessarily worked up. You're going to have trouble later on in life. And this brings us then to the third guide for this short life, and that is consideration of the end. And now we look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon tells the youth, remember your Creator. That is, acknowledge Him now. Give Him thanks for the enjoyment you have and the things you are able to do. Because there's a time coming that you're not going to enjoy what you used to. There's going to be days where you say, I have no pleasure in them, and that's old age. And so he's saying, you should give thanks now in your youth, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to later. And then Solomon breaks out into this very beautiful poem about a very dark subject coming to the end of one's life. He speaks of the end of life in terms of cosmic judgment. Verse 2, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So, Scripture describes cosmic cataclysmic judgment in light of what we read here in verse 2, the moon and stars being darkened. And I believe this is referring to this major event of one's death in their life. The final and most significant trial that one will face in his or her life. A life as you know it has come to an end. Your world is now over. And it is described in terms of the world coming to an end. In verse 3, he describes her strength failing. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. The keepers of the house is an idiom for your arms. They used to keep the house. You use them to keep it. And housekeeping. And now they are trembling for lack of strength. You do see that with old age. Someone has a hard time holding things. Their arms tremble. 
And he who was once a young man, full of vigor and life, is now bent over or hunched over. Verse 3 goes on to talk about decaying teeth. Grinders refer to teeth. And they're few, they rot, they decay, they fall out, especially before modern dentistry. And the end of verse 3 speaks of our failing eyesight. With an idiom, those who look through the windows are dim. And our hearing is failing. In verse 4, and then the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. The doors of the street are shut refers to not being able to hear all the busyness that's going on in the street as if the doors were shut, as if noise was coming through a barrier. And grinding in this case refers to all the busyness that's going on in the streets, but it's low. It's the person that's now hard of hearing. But not when it comes to sleeping. The middle of verse 4. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. Okay, so while you are hard of hearing, your sleep is easily disrupted. The, the, the birds that chirp early in the morning, you wake up to. You, you realize that your sleep is limited and fleeting. And our vocal cords do not work as well anymore. The end of verse 4. And all the daughters of song, daughters of song are brought low. Again, this is an idiom referring to one's ability to sing and use their voice. The voice gets quieter and more raspy. It's brought low. It's more difficult to speak. They have heard a presidential candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Have you heard him speak? That's he has a uh, a condition where his vocal cords spasm when he speaks, and that's just something that comes with with old age. Our voice is not as vigorous, and there is fear of falling and being victimized. Verse five: They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. Uh, being afraid of what is high is referring to being afraid of falling. We're not able to climb heights. Yeah, you're even afraid of standing up. Now, one of the uh, top medical calls I took as a 911 dispatcher was elderly people falling, especially at night when they would get up to go to the bathroom. Their, their balance is more tenuous now. And there are terrors on the way, it says, referring to traveling on the road. You're weak and therefore more vulnerable to attacks without the ability to defend yourself. This is the almond tree blossoms. This refers to one's hair that turns white and then falls out. Because almond trees back then would turn white. And right after it blossoms like that, the leaves fall to the ground. The grasshopper drags itself. Refers to a loss of strength and returning to the dust. What was once vigorous and able to leap high off the ground. Now just dragging along the ground. The sire fades. One's drive in all areas greatly diminishes and energy fades. And all of this happens, the end of verse 5, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Man leaves this world and steps into eternity while mourners go in the street referring to a funeral. And verse 6 describes death as before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered, or the fountain, or at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. This picture is a lantern that is hanging from a ceiling by a silver cord or a silver chain. It breaks. 
And the lantern falls to the ground and shatters. Or a golden bowl, something that was beautiful, important, and very useful, is broken and can no longer be used. Uh, the pitcher at the fountain shatters, again, permanently can no longer be used, something that was so useful. And the wheel at the cistern is broken. Uh, the, the cistern that would pump water from the well can no, is no longer in operation. What all of this is describing is things that were once so useful and beautiful have now permanently come to an end. Describes our death in poetic ways. But verse 7 puts it concretely and says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. This describes death, the, the separation of the body and soul. The body returns to the dust, and the soul returns to God from where it came. And this poem is meant to bring out something so beautiful. A life once vigorous and beautiful and useful now coming to a permanent end. It's really meant to tug at our heartstrings and stir us up with sadness. So what else can be said about this except for what Solomon ends with in, the end of verse eight, or in verse 8? Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Right after describing death, Solomon ends with vanity of vanities. Might very well be the last words that Solomon spoke in this Ecclesiastes. So what came, comes after might be somebody referring to him. This is how he started. This is how he ends. We truly live in the realm of vanity of vanities. The most vain thing when we are just quickly fading and returning to the dust. Once again, Ecclesiastes highlights the terrible vanity of the sin-cursed world by leaving us hanging, leaving us with, a, with wanting a solution, really leaving out Christ in order that we would seek Him as the rest of the Scripture draws us to. Can you imagine if this was the end of the story? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Your, your once beautiful life is going to come to an end. Shattered. Broken. Permanently coming to an end. Thankfully, with Christ, that is not the end of the story. It shows how precious He is. He was born of a woman, young and full of life, but a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Many dark days born for us. And his life came to the most cruel end with the silver cord being cut on the cross. When his glass bowl was utterly smashed under the curse and wrath of God. When He, the fountain of life, was pierced through for our transgressions, He gave up His Spirit to God, and His body was laid in the ground. But this was not a permanent end. 
this is not the end of him being useful. Rather, this fountain of life being broken, as it were, became the fountain of living water for all who believe in him. He was not a flower that faded, but a kernel buried in the ground that rose as the first fruit. He reversed the curse, and he smashed the, and cut the cord of death. He provides the perfect righteousness we need in order to inherit eternal life. Sin brings about death. Righteousness brings about life. And He has provided all of that for us as a free gift. We add nothing to it. And therefore, we who are united with Him inherit His life and are raised with Him and are seated with Him Indeed, our life comes to an end in this life, but then we begin to truly live. And we pass from this world and into the next, returning to the God for whom we were made. And we have the great hope that we will be raised with a body like His, a body of glory, of greater vigor and strength than any body that we have even in our youth. This is the hope of all who simply receive Christ and rest on Him for eternal life. Vanity of vanities is not the end of the poem. Rather, the poem we get to sing is even a more beautiful one. O death, where is your victory? O death,